Welcome to Medical Minefield, where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Barney Kalman, health editor at The Mail on Sunday, and with me today is The Mail on Sunday's deputy health editor, Eve Simmons. Hello. So, Eve, the pandemic triggered massive changes in healthcare across the board, and GP services were no exception. GPs went online for the first time. I found it hugely convenient. I used to have a subscription to one of those private, you'd pay £40 and speak to your GP on an app services. And because I was busy, couldn't always go down to the GP surgery, I I was prepared to pay 40 quid to speak to someone. Uh, But suddenly my GP was offering the same kind of service and then emailing my prescription to Boots. So... It was convenient for me. Yes, actually, I found it extremely helpful when I had a funny little spot on my arm. It was a bit like a beauty spot, but I was worried about the change in shape. Mm. And I took a few pictures and I, I uploaded it to an e-consult form online. And within a couple of days, I'd had a message back from one of the doctors, the special, skin specialists there at the surgery, who had said, it's absolutely fine. Uh, we've checked it with our special camera and there's nothing to worry mm. about. But it seems there are other people out there who are having very different experiences of this new regime. We started getting letters in late summer, early autumn last year from readers who said that they had not been able to see their GP face to face since before the pandemic, some even since 2019. And bearing in mind, this was when hairdressers and gyms and, you know, facialists and everything was back to normal. People were doing everything face to face and in restaurants and all those kinds of things. Hundreds of people in shops, etc. But GPs didn't seem to be seeing people face to face. The thing that I actually found the most concerning was that there were people who were describing symptoms that to me, having written about this stuff, knows that there are absolute red flags and any GP would be really concerned about them. Things like sudden weight loss or funny rashes or lumps and bumps that need immediate attention. And these things were obviously being missed and these symptoms need a physical examination. Some people who did get to speak to their GP over the phone about these things were told that well they should just take a prescription of antibiotics or something like that or told to wait it out and that it would go away and that's really worrying. Dr Ellie Cannon highlighted this issue in her regular column in the Mail on Sunday and she normally gets 50 or 100 letters in response to these kinds of things but the mailbag was huge. We were getting 50, 100 letters every day and these letters have continued to come in. This is a big widespread problem. Intriguingly, when we first did a big piece revealing the scale of what was going on, including some of these readers' experiences, we got a huge blowback on Twitter from other GPs saying they'd been seeing people face-to-face the whole time. You know, so it's clearly pockets where this is going on, and it's quite difficult to understand why. I was interested to read online, there was one uh, GP surgery in Derbyshire that had sent a letter out to all of their patients and it had been shared on Twitter. And it was probably the least diplomatic way to explain to patients why they might not be seeing them as regularly face-to-face as perhaps patients would like. They seemed to be detailing two groups of patients. They said there was one group who that they were essentially attacking for not looking after themselves enough and perhaps bringing on some lifestyle-related illness 
illnesses themselves and another group of patients who got so keen with the e-consult forms that they were just bombarding them with all of these problems Mm. that weren't worthy of going to the GP for, you know. I mean, it seemed very fraught. It wasn't the best way of, of attacking this problem to blame patients but something is really going wrong yeah i mean inflammatory language is never needed in these situations but i could see what what they were trying to do it's a mess complete mess well first i think we should hear from our chief reporter joe mcfarlane who's been tracking this since the start Yes, she has. Um, Joe's been tracking this for the past eight months and now we've got somewhere in the region of a thousand letters and Joe's been looking at all of them and trying to pick apart what's going on here. Joe, can you tell us some of the things that readers are complaining about? So many things. Honestly, I have to say it's probably one of the most genuinely distressing post bags, um, which is continuing actually to this day, that I've ever read and been through. I mean, some of these stories are utterly heartbreaking. I mean, there are patients who complain that they're very vulnerable to COVID. They've got very serious uh, chronic conditions that they are dealing with and managing in their own home. And yet they're really struggling to get hold of the people that they rely on um, for reassurance for these conditions. You know, their family GPs, many of them have been with the same practice for many, many years. In served incredibly well by them actually for many decades and since COVID has hit it's almost as if all of that care and all of that attention has almost vanished for them. It's really incredibly sad. And what we noticed anyway kind of looking at the mailbag is that since November when we started getting letters this problem has just been increasing. Have you noticed that pattern too that we've now got about a thousand or something like that? Yeah, the, the letters are just flooding in, honestly. And there, there hasn't really been an enormous change in them, I would say. I mean, in the very beginning, they were probably the most shocking because it was the first time we'd really been hearing directly from patients about this. And now, even though we've been thinking about this for several months, the same sorts of stories are coming through. So it doesn't appear as if there's been an enormous change in terms of patients being able to get increased access to their GPs. Mm. And and can you think of uh, any of the most shocking stories that you've read? Yeah, um, there, there was one story which came from a whistleblower, actually, which has stuck with me a bit. And she described um, an elderly patient from a practice who she says was very switched on about her health, um, who had severe asthma. Now, she had called her GP practice looking for an appointment and had been prescribed um, additional medication which went out to her that weekend. Um, but she had been quite distressed, this person told me. Uh, and in fact, she died that night and hadn't been seen at all by a GP. Now she queries whether, in fact, had she seen a GP, the outcome might have been different. And of course, we just don't know what that situation was. But stories like that, are much more common than I think we even realise at this stage. Joe, um, I just wanted to interject. You have had some blowback when writing about this from the medical community on Twitter, for instance. Could you just describe that to me? Well, it's it's tricky because we know that GPs are in fact working and are working incredibly hard and have been throughout this pandemic. There is no suggestion at all that 
um, there's any sort of laziness involved in any of this. Uh, we know that they're conducting more appointments than ever before, even though a lot of them are by telephone. And we know they're under huge amounts of pressure, partly because of the number of, G of patients who are contacting them, but also because of the great job they're doing vaccinating. So they do see um, any stories of this nature as being a direct attack on them personally, which of course it really isn't. You know, patients, these are their lived experiences and they are so upsetting, some of them. And that's not to say that GPs aren't working hard. It's just they're not necessarily working in a way which is reassuring for patients and is working in the interests of patients, I think, sometimes. And that's a very, very difficult to get across. I mean, something you've said to me repeatedly is that this is a seemingly lose-lose situation for everyone at the moment. Yeah, very much so. Patients are upset because they can't get hold of their GPs anymore, either by telephone in some circumstances or face-to-face. -face. GPs are frustrated because this isn't really something they want to do. They, um, many of them, are complaining that um, you know they're they're actually genuinely scared of missing something because so many of their appointments are over the phone. They would far rather be in a surgery with their patients. But the guidance from NHS England is still only to see patients face to face where clinically necessary. Now, some GPs or surgeries are doing that very well and are seeing a majority of patients face to face. Other GP practices have interpreted that very, very differently and are only seeing patients face-to-face -face in the most worst-case scenarios. When we've described surgery shutting up shop, you know, this is a, a metaphor in most cases, saying that they're not seeing patients as they were or it's very difficult to get hold of them. But have you come across examples of surgeries actually closing down since the pandemic? Absolutely. Uh, there are many reports of that being the case. I mean, I think there are probably two categories there. There are some patients who believe their surgeries have closed down because they've been unable to get to on the phone and unable to see anyone. Um, and then there are actual cases of surgeries literally shutting up shop. And I've been told that not just by patients, but by other GPs who recognise that there are surgeries in their areas that haven't opened since the pandemic struck. And they know that because the patients from those surgeries are coming to them instead or are being seen in out-of-hours clinics or are being or going directly to A&E in many cases as well. Jo, in, in those situations, which obviously are the most extreme examples, have you got any idea why this is happening? Why are these GP surgeries taking that advice from NHS England and kind of completely running with it in a very extreme way? I think there's quite a few reasons. I think for some GP surgeries, they might be very small practices. There might only be one GP there, one receptionist, perhaps one practice nurse, and their waiting area might be absolutely tiny. So in those circumstances, there is potentially a risk of COVID transmission if people are in, end up having to wait around in small spaces um, together. Others may have practice staff who are particularly vulnerable to the virus. But it's increasingly hard to take those excuses seriously when most practice staff and GPs will have been fully vaccinated by now, so they'll have had the first and second dose of the vaccine. And um, many of their patients will have too. And I mean, after all, you look at you know a hairdresser's salon or a waiting room in a dentist practice, all of these places are open and are operating 
close to normal with obviously things like masks and social distancing and numbers restricted in places but if they can manage it the question is why can't GP practices and what would you say to uh, the GP surgeries, a bit like the, the one in Derbyshire that's published this, this controversial letter, who say that essentially a lot of this problem is caused by complaining patients who are perhaps being slightly dramatic and uh, requesting face-to-face appointments when they're unnecessary? I think it's really difficult because I think both sides of the argument are true. I think People have had a year of lockdown and that has had a huge impact on everyone. Everyone is frustrated. Everyone has had lots of health complaints piling up and one on top of another and they just want human contact again. So I can see that perhaps part of that GP letter is justified. However, I don't think that is the way to build a relationship with your patients. And I would urge any G practices out there to think very carefully about their messaging to their patients. Everyone has had a very difficult year and that should absolutely be taken into account. Yeah, it's an example of what not to do. Well, Joe, it's always a pleasure to chat. Thank you so much. You too. Thanks for having me on. God, it's just a total nightmare situation, isn't it? Yeah, and, uh, you know, I've read most of these letters as well and you've mm. read many of them too. And, you know, these people aren't time wasters. It's people with genuine problems who are genuinely upset, frustrated. It's a situation that really shouldn't be going on and, and certainly can't be allowed to continue. It's it's not just the readers that have been worried. We've had reports from multiple doctors as well. And next, I think we should speak to one of them. Hi. Sorry to interrupt your listening, but there's another great podcast from the Mail on Sunday you might want to try. Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast, offering a weekly look into the life of Britain's most unfiltered columnist. That's me. Find us at mailplus.co.uk. Next, we have Zoe, a doctor working part-time for the NHS 111 service. I should point out that she's agreed to speak anonymously. Zoe isn't her real name, but she's become increasingly concerned with the number of patients who call 111 in desperation because they're unable to get seen or even speak to their own GP. GP chiefs in the NHS say GPs have never been busier and are seeing patients who need to be seen. Zoe, is that true in your experience? Um, I'm sure it is true, but I think there are a large number of patients who are not being seen. Um, I'm speaking to patients who um, have tried calling their own doctor and very often they have to listen to really long-winded phone messages um, and then they listen to this for a long, long time and then eventually the phone system cuts out or they're in a queue, they just can't get through to speak to someone, or when they do speak to someone, they're just told, sorry, no appointments available. Um, So I'm sure patients are being seen, but I I think a lot are not being seen. And so they're calling you because they can't get through to their GP. And what kinds of things are they saying? So there's a real mixture of things. Um, I'm seeing patients with acute problems, who, yes, 111 is is probably a good place to be dealing with them. 
um, or I might refer them on to A&E and that might be the right thing to do. So what kind of thing is that? So I might talk to people with really quite minor things like urine infections, things that I can deal with very easily for them. And yes, 111 is appropriate. Or I might speak to patients with chest pains or severe sort of worrying problems, breathlessness, and I will direct them on to A&E. And yes, that is appropriate for them. But there are a lot of patients with more sort of chronic problems or lots of elderly patients with multiple problems who actually they don't need to go to A&E. And someone just sort of calling who doesn't know them isn't the right person to talk to them. They really need their GP and they just they can't get through. And you, as a 111 doctor, you have a special hotline to GPs. Are you able to get through and make an appointment or get these people seen when you try? In most cases, yes. Um, I can book them. Um, it's always a telephone appointment initially. I can book them a telephone appointment with their GP. But it, not all GPs seem to have signed up to this service. So I can't for everybody. Um, and so in those cases, what I tend to do is I phone the surgery myself, but even then I can't always get through or get them an appointment. Mm. And, I mean, the patients that you speak to, what kind of emotional state are they in? They're so fed up. Um, they're worried, they're anxious, they're stressed, and they've been waiting several hours for a call back from a GP. Um, and when I suggest to them, oh, have you tried speaking to your GP or maybe let's get you an appointment, they sort of laugh and say, oh, well, yeah, good luck with that. We've tried that and we're just getting nowhere. When you can't get an appointment with the GP, do you just have to send people with these chronic conditions to A&E out of no other options? Um, yes, on occasion I have had to do that, yes. It's, um, I don't like to because I know it's, it's not the right thing for the patient. And it's not helping A&E. But sometimes there's just no other option. I guess, you know, although in most cases uh, this won't happen, will serious illnesses be missed because GPs are so hard to get hold of because they're not seeing patients face to face? I think that is inevitable that things will get missed when, when you can't see people in a timely manner and also when everything is done over the telephone. Some things just cannot be done over the phone. Things will be missed. Like, for example, I don't know, someone might have lost weight. And if you were their GP, you would recognise that and you would see or you would see, oh, they're not quite right. Something's amiss here. But when it's over the phone, all that's lost. There does seem to be very much a push coming from the top in the NHS to digitise, to move towards remote consultations. Do you think this is the future? Do you think it's a good thing? I think a certain element of that is a good thing. Um, and I think lots of things can be done um, over email, over phone calls, and it can be very convenient for the right patients in the right circumstances. But I think we cannot totally lose the face-to-face the -face sort of good old proper general practice of seeing patients in the surgery um, I, I really hope that is not the way that general practice will end up. But because I think we GPs, we don't enjoy that. We don't like sitting on the phone all day long talking to people. We want to see people and, and interact with them properly. 
And um, I know talking to my colleagues, we all feel slightly anxious doing everything over the phone. And we are worried that we're missing things by not seeing patients. So I really hope it's not going to go too far in that direction. Zoe, thanks very much for finding some time to talk to us. That's quite all right. Thank you. See, so this is exactly what I'm talking about. It's really worrying that clearly these very serious problems are going to get missed. Things like weight loss, you know, like she was talking about. How on earth are you supposed to pick up on those kind of signs of something that is really quite sinister? It's a nightmare situation and and the problems are being mopped up by the local emergency services. Exactly. And this is a GP herself who is saying this is a serious issue. Next, I think we should speak to Britain's chief GP, Professor Martin Marshall, who's chair of the Royal College of General Practitioners. Professor Marshall, COVID triggered a huge shift in the way that GPs work, with a move towards favouring digital and remote services over face-to-face appointments. Are things ever going to go back to how they were? You're right. It was a, it was a massive shift uh, prior to the pandemic around about 80 85 percent of consultations in general practice were carried out face to face and at the height of the first wave that had dropped to just 10 percent of consultations were carried out face to face the rest of them being carried out on the telephone or on video or or by text um since that first wave things have returned slowly back to normal uh, currently, around about 54% of consultations in general practice are carried out face-to-face. The rest are mostly carried out uh, on the uh, telephone. So we are returning to back to something closer to where we were pre-pandemic. I doubt if we will return back to where we were completely, because there are a lot of patients that like the um, convenience and the access that they get from remote consultations and actually prefer them to seeing their doctor face-to-face. I mean, I'm one of those patients. I've found it hugely convenient, particularly the way that the prescription service has been shaken up. Um, But I'm also aware that some people are very excluded by the move to e-consult type services because they're not online. For instance, just over half of 75-year-olds don't use the internet, according to Age UK. So what do you say to them? So that is a very big worry. The last thing that general practice wants to do is to exclude anybody um, from high quality general practice uh, services. And that's one of the reasons why, despite having to go remote uh, during the pandemic in order to control the spread of infection, to protect patients and to protect staff, general practice has been opening up and encouraging more face-to-face appointments. So I'm hoping that those people who are in that group of wanting to go back to traditional face-to-face services, in some cases needing face-to-face services, I'm hoping that that group will have better and better access to general practice as we shift out of the um, uh, the pandemic. I mean, over the past few months, we've been inundated with letters and emails from readers saying they've been unable to get a face-to-face appointment when they needed one. We've got scores of people who are upset, frustrated and genuinely worried. What's going on here then? Yeah, we hear uh, those patients' concerns and our response is, if you need a face-to-face appointment, you will get one. There are some people who would like a face-to-face appointment but don't necessarily need one. And at a time of emergency that we've been through over the last year, you know, sometimes I'm afraid you just have to accept that um, if you can deal with something more safely, remotely, then that's what's required. But for those who need them, it's really important that they get them. And it's really important that general practice explains why 
they've been operating as they have been. This is about safety. This is about looking after patients and looking after staff and gradually shifting back to a model of general practice, which a lot of patients are familiar with and like, and indeed a lot of clinicians like as well. There are some clinicians who love doing remote remote consultations, but most clinicians that I speak to would prefer to have some kind of mix and actually really miss patients, seeing patients face to face. Well, I'd like to take you up on what you said about things returning back to normal. Although statistically we do have a return to -to face-to-face appointments, we've looked into the figures and they're not appointments with GPs now. The bulk of these face-to-face appointments is now uh, being done by nurses or other healthcare professionals. And it's been a a tip towards that, uh, you know, this is different to how it was before the start of the pandemic. So they're not getting to see GPs as much as they were. Is this essentially the future, that we're not going to get to see our GPs face-to-face? So let me clarify the figures. I I said there was a figure of about 54% overall of face-to-face consultations in general practice. Um, That's an average across all health professionals that you might see in a general practice, which is a a growing team. The figure is actually probably closer to 35% for doctors, for GPs and closer to over 60% for nurses who often need to see patients to do procedures, to take blood tests or, uh, or to take blood pressures or, or whatever. So you're right, um, the proportion of um, consultations with a doctor, with a GP is about a third uh, that are face-to-face. I think you're right that the nature of general practice is changing. When I became a GP 30 years ago, the vast majority of consultations in general practice were with a GP. Now it's less than 50% because we have a larger primary care team. We have, you might see a nurse, you might see a pharmacist, you might be a physician associate, you might see a mental health specialist, you might see a musculoskeletal specialist. That's the nature of what general practice is, is like now. And that's because there simply aren't enough GPs in order to be able to provide the kind of care that we used to provide. And also because these other health professionals deliver a really good specialist services in the particular areas that they work in. So general practice is changing and I think it will take some time for the public to get used to that. You must have seen one GP surgery in Derbyshire who wrote quite a long and pointed letter to all their patients last week, essentially blaming them for the whole situation, saying that a cohort of patients had refused to engage with the e-consult system and they'd clogged their phone lines so no one could get through. Um, They said the patients weren't doing enough to look after themselves um, and they even needed to wait to get sicker before contacting them. I mean, they said that they were articulating what many GPs felt but were afraid to say and they were scrapping online consults altogether. So you've got desperately unhappy patients on one hand, uh, the GPs themselves saying that they're almost losing the plot, making mistakes because they're so stressed. I mean, you're the top guy in this. How are you going to sort this situation out? So general practice is under enormous uh, pressure at the moment, enormous workload pressure. The number of uh, patients that we're seeing is going uh, up and up around about 20% increase between March and February of this year in the number of consultations. Uh, Less than that, about an 8% increase in March in comparison with pre-pandemic March in in 2019. So the number of consultations is going up in general practice. In addition, we're seeing more complex um, uh, consultations, uh, more complex problems being presented to us. On average, nearly three problems presented in an average 10-minute consultation. We're also spending more time on administrative work 
And we've, as you know, spent an awful lot of time um, uh, uh, delivering the vaccination program. 75% of all COVID vaccinations have been delivered in general practice. I explain that because general practice is under unprecedented pressure. And that pressure is playing out in a range of different ways with very stressed um, clinicians, with difficulty keeping doctors and other health professionals in the workforce, and of course, with unhappy uh, patients as well. Our responsibility as a college, as a professional body responsible for general practice, is to address that problem, particularly with policymakers. We need more doctors, and we need more um, other health professionals, non-doctors in the workforce as well. Uh, we need to support patients to self-care, and that has to be done in a, in a positive and sensible way, in a way that patients are, are happy with. And in many practices, that is precisely uh, what's happening. And we need to work differently as well. And I've already described how, for example, you're less likely to see a doctor than you might have been in the old days, more likely to see another health professional. So there's a number of solutions, but fundamentally, this is a crisis which only policymakers can sort out. And it doesn't seem to be to be fair to be blaming GPs for what is essentially a lack of resources. I mean, it sounds like there's no short term solution if, if the answer is more doctors. Well, there are some short-term um, solutions in terms of uh, working differently and bringing in more non-doctors into the workforce. They can be done relatively quickly. But you're right that in terms of uh, bringing more GPs into the workforce, that, that is a long-term problem. So from entering medical school to becoming an independent practitioner as a GP is about 10 years, perhaps a little bit more than that. So that, that is a big problem. Professor Marshall, I feel like... There is an us versus them attitude in some areas of general practice, right from the signs around doctor surgery saying do not abuse our staff um, to the current situation where you've got people reacting to that very confrontational letter um, on social media by saying, yeah, the patients are the problem. How can we make peace between these two seemingly opposing forces, patients who are unhappy and GPs who are unhappy? There needs to be a peacemaker coming from the top, doesn't there? Well, I, I don't agree with your assessment that there's a, there's a battle going on because I speak to a lot of patients um, who are actually very supportive of the stress that their practices are going through. And in many cases, through patient support groups, are actually helping out in, in, in a range of different ways. So I don't buy your argument that this is just about uh, a, a battle. But I do accept that when people are under pressure, they sometimes behave in ways that they do not, do not want to uh, behave in. And sometimes you will see stresses play out. But again, I come back to the point that I think blaming GPs for that, when the problem is one of resources that are going into general practice, simply isn't fair. And in many ways, it's more likely to exacerbate the problem. The more unhappy GPs are, the fewer GPs we'll see. I, I don't think anyone's blaming anyone. It's just not an ideal situation. No, I agree entirely. I mean, GPs and patients need to work in partnership in order to deliver high quality care uh, for patients. And we see lots of examples of that happening. But in order to do that, we need an adequate workforce that isn't stressed, that isn't seeing 60 or, seven patients, 60 or 70 patients a day and isn't working 12-hour days. That, that's what we need in order to be able to provide what patients want and deserve to have. And I fully understand the unhappiness that some patients have and the um, experiences that they have, which are far from perfect. I fully understand that. But what I also see is many practices that are delivering superb care, which their patients are very satisfied with, despite the pressures that they're under. 
Professor Martin Marshall, thank you very much for finding some time to talk to us. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much for interviewing me. Reading between the lines, I would say that the problems that existed in general practice before the pandemic of overstretched staff, under-resourced GP surgeries has continued and only worsened that the shift to digital seems not to have solved the problem. I think it was presented by Matt Hancock as a shiny new toy that was going to kind of solve all of the problems that were existing within these NHS systems, but actually it's just plastered over the cracks. I don't know. You know, I think it was a genuine attempt to resolve something that was causing a lot of... Uh, you know, I mean, we all remember the the pictures of people queuing 20, 30 deep at 7am outside their GP surgery. Something needed to be done and this accelerated his plan to move things online. You know, one hopes that somehow we can find some equilibrium in the whole situation. I think so, but I think it was slightly short-sighted when you bear in mind the fact that companies had to supply laptops to children because they didn't have access to the internet at home. There's a lot of people in this country who don't have access to the internet and also a lot of people who want to see their GP face-to-face and feel that that's, that's a real need. And even GPs are saying that we shouldn't shut that service off completely and recognise that that's crucial. Well, look, this is definitely going to be a subject we keep coming back to. And to readers listening, please do keep writing to us and do let us know what's happening in your local area. We want to hear your stories. That's all we've got time for. But you'll find all the latest health news in this weekend's The Mail on Sunday. And visit mailplus.co.uk to listen to all of our podcasts free and in full. You can also follow us on Twitter by searching at mailplus. And we'll be back with another topic on Medical Minefield next week. See you then.